Hello, everyone, and welcome into episode 69 of the Stomp the Bus Show. I'm your host, Mark Harris, coming at you solo tonight. Unfortunately, Colton had some uh, after-school duties at his, uh, his job, and so he will be unable to join us tonight, but that's fine. Got a lot to touch on. Um, this is what happens when you go two weeks without doing the show. So uh, we got all sorts of sports to talk about administrative stuff. Uh, but first, let's talk about something that came out earlier this week. That would be the Big 12 schedule release. Going to pull it up on fbsschedules.com. Let's go through what the 2024 ASU football schedule looks like. Now, we know what teams we're playing, right? And a lot of ASU fans... Um, when they saw the schedule on Tuesday, it was like, oh, this is this taking a lot. This is a lot to get used to. You know, there's no more Oregon, no more Stanford, uh, Washington State, no more Washington, no more USC, UCLA. It and they're not wrong. They are not wrong. It like it is going to take a lot to get used to playing UCF and uh, Kansas as conference opponents and not Cal and Oregon State. But this is where we are. And for me, I've already kind of moved past that. I like once the Pac-12 died, you knew that you were playing uh, Big 12 teams. So I'm not worried about that, but I do understand the ASU fans out there that are like, man, this is a this is a lot to get used to. And they aren't wrong. Um we but anyway, we didn't know the order, and we do now. Uh, two bye weeks there in the middle. Let's just go through it game by game. So we already knew you were starting off with Wyoming. I still think this is going to be a tough game, but it does make it a bit easier, I would think. Now that Craig Bull is no longer the head coach there, they have a new coach. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but you would think that would be an easier game, but Wyoming's a tough program. Uh they beat Texas Tech last year. Now, granted, that was in Laramie. You are hosting Wyoming. And, I mean, August 31st in Tempe, it's going to be like 100, probably like 102 degrees at kickoff. So that's always an advantage for ASU. And, I mean, ultimately, Wyoming is still a Mountain West team. So it's not like this is some daunting opponent, but it's also – it's more than just your average group of five team that you're playing. You know, I think Wyoming – Wyoming's a good program. It'll be, it's not a complete just gimme game, you know? So that's your opener. Then you host Mississippi State. They bring in, uh, they have a new head coach too, and Jeff Levy uh, comes over from Oklahoma. Can't say I know a lot about the comings and goings of Mississippi State football this offseason, other than who their head coach is. Uh, obviously, they lose Will Rogers to Washington. Uh, so, but they'll be more of an air raidy type scheme. That's a good that that's a good non-conference opponent for ASU because Mississippi State is a not very beatable, but it is a beatable SEC team. This isn't you know you're not playing Georgia or even like a Tennessee or something like that where you, you you're already behind the eight ball. Mississippi State you can expect to go into that game as an ASU fan and win. You know, maybe they won't win. I don't know. But you can, as an ASU fan, reasonably expect a win in that game uh, when the Bulldogs come to Tempe week two. Then you're at Texas State. 
This one, uh, we actually did know who the quarterback was going to be, but Jaden Delora, almost said Jaden Daniels or Jaden Rashad, so many Jadens <laughs> that are playing quarterback. But Jaden Delora was there briefly before um, some on-campus pressure uh, resulted in him leaving the program, uh, stemming from his sexual assault misconduct incident that happened when he was in high school in Hawaii. So their quarterback situation is still up in the air. It was TJ Finley last year when Texas Tech went on or Texas State went on the road and beat Baylor. And GJ Kenny, their head coach, he he has a good offensive scheme. Uh Texas State had one of its better years last year. And it's I, I think this game is kind of in the same boat as the Wyoming game where you you should win, but and I think Wyoming's better than Texas State, but the fact that you're playing on the road adds that extra little level of difficulty. So it it, it just I, I just see that game on the schedule and it's just you're playing at San Marcos at, at Texas State. They're you know they're kind of in a high point as their program and they have this game scheduled on the, on the calendar against the Sun Devils. So that's a, that's a tricky spot, but you should still be able to win. That's a, that's going to be a game where I don't really like Wyoming. I would love to win by 14 plus points or whatever. I would love that to be a comfortable win. Texas state. I don't care. Just get out of there with the win. It's just, just get out of there with the win. Um, Oh, whoops. Accidentally clicked. Uh, yeah, just get out of there with a win. And then you are you uh, stay in Texas, although it's a completely different area of the state and really the country for that matter. But uh, your first ever Big 12 conference game will be at Texas Tech against Jalen Conyers and the Red Raiders. Um, this should be a good game. I'm excited for this game. This is one of those games. I might want to go to this game. I don't know how many road games I'm going to go to. I don't just, uh, you know, with – with my funds or lack thereof, but going to Lubbock would be cool earlier in the year. And you can fly there as well. So it's not, I mean, it's a long drive, but it's a doable drive. Um, you know, great road game environment. Everyone who goes there says they have a great home field advantage. So I, I'm excited for ASU to play that game. And overall, when I look at these first four games, I think three and one is what, that's what you want. You hope that, you know, you don't, I don't really know which game it's going to be. It, it prop like the on paper version would be losing, you know, starting three and zero and then losing at Texas tech. You could easily start two and zero, lose at Texas state, then beat Texas tech. You know, it's, you never know how it's going to actually work out, but I think three and one is a realistic possibility. And if you do get to three and one, I think going to a bowl game is almost certainly in the bag. Not that like any of these games are like gimme wins, but I see very few 100% losses as well. So bye week, love that. Early on, uh, get rested up and then you host Kansas. And this will probably be, they're ranked right now. They ended last year ranked. I don't know if they'll be ranked at this point next year in week six of the 2024 season, but they you know retained Lance Leipold. They retained Jalen Daniels. And that's going to be a tough team. So I'm excited for that. That's, that's going to be a good, 
that's going to be a good home game because at least with Kansas, you'll have a, a lot of Jayhawk fans will be able to travel. Uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want like UCF or Cincinnati, uh, potentially even like West Virginia. I wouldn't want any of those schools to be your first Big 12 home game because I just shudder to think of what the stands will look like. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, hopefully, you know, ASU fans can just do it on their own. But having just Jayhawk fans there, I think that would add to the vibe and have a full stadium there. So and then. Next week against Utah, yeah, that's going to be a tough game. Utah brings back Rising. They bring back Grant Keithy. Uh, their down year last year was 8-4, and four, so that kind of tells you where they're at as a program. It's on a Friday night. I don't love that. But, I mean, maybe being on a Friday night gives ASU a better chance to win that game. Maybe I mean, if that's just game if – that, if that game is just played on, like, a Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, it might be – you know, maybe it's just the circumstances are too normal and therefore ASU has no like extra weird little advantage of playing at night on a Friday. So who knows, maybe October 11th, we're rushing the field at Mount America Stadium. After that game, you go pretty much across the country to play Cincinnati on the road. And uh, Cincinnati wasn't very good last year. They'll be better this year, but this is a... Of all our road games, aside from Texas State, this is probably your most winnable road game. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it's just based on how the Bearcats played last year. They're still, you know, acclimating to power four level football, whatever that is. Um, and this is and, – and the weather shouldn't be too bad of an issue either since it's October 19th. Then you get another buy. Two buys – uh, within the span of 30 days here. And that I, I love that so much. And one thing um, that comes to me when I see these bye weeks is I think about the Washington game last year. And you ask, Mark, why are you thinking about the Washington game when it comes to the bye weeks this year? Well, that's because ASU had a bye entering that game. And you saw that was ASU's 100, like that was a fantastic defensive effort from ASU. They held... Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, uh, McMillan wasn't playing. Polk, Jalen Polk, they held that offense to nine points, no offensive touchdowns, held them to fewer points than the Michigan Wolverines did in the national championship game. So I bring that up because if, if that is an indicator of things to come of, oh, like if you give Kenny an extra week, if you give Brian Ward an extra week, you give uh, important players resting an extra week, like – is, is that going to be a trend under Dillingham where they, after the bye week, they come in, they come in hot, you know, because sometimes teams after a bye week, they start slow. Uh, it's a more lethargic effort to begin with. And then you kind of wake up as the game goes along. It was the opposite with Dillingham. And so I'm interested to see how that plays out. And it's just nice to have two buys. So, and you're going to need it because you're going at Oklahoma state. They have a great running back returning in Ollie Gordon. Uh, Alan Bowman returns. I can't say I was like extremely impressed with Oklahoma State the last two times ASU played them. I know Oklahoma State won both those games, but they also caught ASU at like a historically bad time. So I don't know. Like, and I get that they made the Big 12 championship game last year. Um, I'm just like, I just don't know how good Oklahoma State's going to be. They'll probably be good, but. 
I don't think this is an un, unbeatable game. You know, it, it'll be tough. You will be underdogs for sure. Uh, but I think there is a sliver of a chance you win this game. Hosting UCF, it, I don't really know what to expect from this game. <laughs> I really don't. I'm excited because I feel like this, this could be a game where it's just like offense going up and down the field and just fireworks everywhere. Um, I, it's, a compl- it's a weird conference game. There's one way to say it. Uh, since you're playing a team from the other side of the country, but uh, should be an interesting game on November 9th at Sun Devil Stadium. This game, I have no hope that ASU is going to win this game. Um, I don't know how good K-State's going to be. I kind of put him in the same bucket as Oklahoma State, but uh, I think Kleiman is a better coach than Gundy. That may upset some people, but I do. And you're playing at November, mid-November in Manhattan, Kansas. Like, that's just – we've seen ASU go up to Pullman late in the year. We've seen ASU go up to Corvallis late in the year, and it's a disaster. It, ne- it never goes well. It never goes well. And I envision a similar type of scenario at K-State. They're a good program. You know, they're tough, you know, line of scrimmage team. So I hope by then they already have wins banked up and so they can afford a loss. You host BYU. This is going to be, I think BYU, I don't know what their how good their roster is, but they went five and seven last year, but it was a flimsy five and seven. Like they needed close wins in that stretch. Um, and they only got to five and seven, no Keaton Slovis like they had last year. So it'll be interesting. I mean, there will be a ton of BYU fans there coming in from the East Valley. So that'll be an interesting stadium dynamic for sure. But I mean, this is, this is one of our, this is going to, this could easily develop into ASU's second biggest rival in the big 12, you know, They've, these teams have played each other before uh, in non-conference. Uh, <laughs> that wonderful game up in Provo in 2021 that I lost my blank about because ASU blew it in so many ways. But that game and then also uh, previous games in the past and um, before ASU joined the Big 12. Or, well, before they joined the Big 12, but before they joined the Pac-12. Uh, so... Excited for that game. And then the Territorial Cup. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a good game. It won't be as difficult as we thought it was going to be at the end of the regular season or at the end of the bowl season, for that matter. Uh, But it won't be as easy, for lack of a better word, than we thought right after Jed Fish left, because Tetero McMillan, Noah Fafita, Jacob Manu. um, uh, There's a offensive linemen that they have returning as well that entered that initially entered the portal. So they did bring some guys back, but they're also losing Jonah Coleman. They're losing Ephesians Prysock. They're losing uh Takario Davis, both their starting corners. Uh Washington just picked up one of their defensive linemen. And they're also losing to some guys at the draft, uh Jordan Morgan, um, for one. So they will be like Arizona will almost certainly be better than ASU next year. I would be I would be surprised if Arizona wasn't better, um, but they're not going to be quite as much better as they would have been had Jed Fish stayed. Had Jed Fish stayed, they'd probably be the conference favorite, but I think that's Utah now. And again, I, I like Brent Brennan. I think he's a good hire. I think they, 
for the circumstances that the university is in and being, you know, $240 million either in debt or they just lost it or whatever, having a issue like that, getting Brent Brennan was a good, good hire um, since he's familiar with the program. So overall, I like the schedule. I like interesting home games, only one road, bad road game in terms of weather. And that would be at K state. I, this one could be the Oklahoma state game could be bad weather, but it could also be like 55 degrees and cloudy or something like it, it might be just like meh, like fall weather, you know? So I, I don't think that you never know November, but it's not, no, it, it's, it's still in Oklahoma. So it's Southern ish. Um, so, yeah. And you go to Cincinnati in mid-October and at Texas Tech. I don't foresee any weird weather issues. You know, there's always wind at some of these places, but. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I hope I think ASU has what it takes to have like a six and six, seven and five type season. And this schedule doesn't throw me off that, you know. I think a lot of these games are kind of toss up coin flip games and um, not Utah, I don't think, but. Uh, many of these games are toss-up coin flip type of games, and I think that's not bad for ASU. So good stuff. Good stuff. Glad that the schedule is finally out. Um, let's get back into some more ASU-specific stuff. There's a lot of news and notes, so I'm just going to kind of go through them. Uh, let's start with women's basketball. We haven't talked a ton about women's basketball because, well, uh, they are two and seven in the Pac-12, ten and eleven overall. They've gotten destroyed a lot of games, but there's a bright spot. Uh, sophomore guard Jalen Brown, who spells her name ex almost exactly like Jalen Brown in the NBA, but there's no e in uh, her first name. She's pretty. She's mostly responsible responsible for ASU winning its two Pac-12 games, which happened. This most recent weekend on Sunday, the 28th over Cal, and then uh, the Sunday before a win on the road against Washington. Where in that game against the Huskies, she, she scored 38, ugh, 34 points. She scored 34 points um, on 55% shooting, 11 of 20 from the field, four of five from three-point range. You love to see that. Uh, and then against Cal, she scored 21 points, 50% shooting, three of three from deep. So she's she's a really good player. Uh, I saw on uh, she was named the ASU uh, Sun Devils Athlete of the Month, and she deserves it based on based on what she's done and just getting ASU women's basketball kind of just they're still not a good team, but just kind of just winning games that they can win, um, not you know looking just dreadful. Uh, which they have in some of these games, but it's good to see them kind of turn it around and uh, a young star like Jalen Brown lead the way on that. All right. There wasn't any hockey last weekend, but they are up to number 18 in the USCHO poll. Um, and they uh, got to that. By losing two games at at home to my schedule is not loading on my phone. I'm almost certain it was Cornell. They lost two games at home to Cornell. Uh, they play, and this was two weekends ago, so the weekend of the 21st, uh, which is 
not ideal, obviously. Um, they're still, you know, 17th, 18th in the poll. Uh, yeah, 18th in the poll. But that's not a great spot to be if you want to make the tournament because there's only 16 teams that get in. It's not like the basketball tournament where there's, you know, 68 teams that get in. There's only 16 teams. So ASU hockey just needs to continue winning these games that it's supposed to win. And it has some coming up, you know, uh, they're, they play, okay. Number 17 in the USCHO poll. So 17, 18, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they're kind of just hanging out in the bottom of the poll, but there we go. Finally, finally loaded. Good Lord. Okay. Let's go. So, yeah, okay. So the weekend of the 12th and the 13th, they lost both games to Cornell, and then they split the following weekend against Augustana in South Dakota. So this upcoming weekend, they host Lindenwood, and then they're at Alaska Fairbanks. No, no, they host Lindenwood, and then the following weekend, 9th and 10th, they host Alaska Fairbanks, then they're at Alaska Fairbanks, um, and then March 1st, March, se March 2nd, they host Long Island University. If they can go like 8-0, 7-1 in that stretch, which is kind of what they need to do, then they're in a pretty good spot, most likely, to make the tournament because other teams above them will lose. So ASU Hockey just kind of tread in water. Um, had a off week this, this past weekend. Um, but everything, all of their goals are still ahead of them. They just need to... Take care of business. Easier said than done when you're traveling to Fairbanks, Alaska in February. <laughs> Does not sound fun at all. Okay. I saw a tweet from Dennis Dodd today that was very interesting. And it was, I, I could have made a bigger deal out of this on the show, but it's kind of what we have expected. And the long and short of it is that ASU is working with the NCAA for a negotiated uh, punishment um, when it comes to their, you know, infractions case under Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce stemming from the recruiting violations in COVID. So this is the tweet from Dennis Dodd breaking Arizona state in talks with the NCAA for a negotiated resolution in the two and a half year old recruiting violations case, no further postseason ban expected expect show cause penalties for some of the former staff. So there will probably be some recruiting regulations that ASU and Kenny Dillingham staff will have to follow. But the biggest thing is there is that there's no bull ban. You know, you don't want to, you don't want the surprise bull ban for the first two years of your tenure. If you're Kenny Dillingham or any coach for that matter. But this is, this is a good sign that this is just coming to an end. I just want all the, any loose ends from the Herm Edwards, Antonio Pierce era to just be completed, cut off, done. I, I'm just so done as an ASU fan having to harken back to, you know, the 2020, 2021 era where it just, or not even 2021 era when it all came out, I guess. Uh, you know, you see maybe the last time that the loose ends will not be there is when, you know, it's the draft and Jaden Daniels is going second or third overall. And, you know, Ricky Pearsall and Johnny Wilson are both like third round wide receivers and Ladarius Henderson gets drafted. And 
and all this and you know but um I, ultimately i'm just glad it's not going to be a postseason ban and i'm even more glad that this is just coming to an end okay because colton and i've certainly spent enough time talking about it asu people online have spent enough time talking about it um and especially in a year where you should be it would be disappointing in my opinion if asu doesn't finish at least six and six in my opinion, I know there are some fans that are that would maybe tolerate five and seven, but for me, six and six is a pretty reasonable expectation at ASU uh, given their schedule. And I'm glad that it's almost certain that there won't be a potential postseason ban hanging over the program. So good stuff there. That this is coming to an end. Uh, some more news and notes. I should mention uh, Dave Hickey. I mean, ASU is now not the only school in the Grand Canyon state looking for an athletic director um, as Dave Hickey got fired. Basically, I mean, I don't have sources on this, but it feels like he's just a scapegoat for Robert Robbins. Um, and that's not to say that Dave Hickey did, you know, 100% of his job well all the time. And I'm sure that he was responsible for some of the budget shortage, but I mean, it, it feels like it, this is president Robbins throwing someone under the bus to kind of keep the wolves at bay. So I, and the idea of letting Dave Hickey hire the next head coach and then you fire him like two or three days after Brent Brennan joins Arizona, that is just, I don't like that at all. You know, I look I, as an ASU fan again, like I like dysfunction down in Tucson. That's great. But just, just as a college football fan, like, what do you do? Like, that's just terrible process. And it's weird for once it feels like ASU, you know, knock on wood is kind of just sailing in the right direction and there's not any BS coming up. You know, obviously the athletic director search is still ongoing, but it does at least feel like a lot of the hurdles of the past have been uh, fixed or they're, they're just no longer timely anymore, if that makes sense. We, ASU has kind of outlasted them, I, I guess. So that's a weird situation for U of A. I don't think we've heard the end of it. Uh, it's, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars gone. I don't think that's just kind of neatly wraps itself up. Um, but it, it, it cost, uh, Dave Hickey his job. So that is an interesting development for sure. And, you know, you can kind of see why Jed Fish left, you know, I know I mentioned on the last show that there were some Arizona fans upset that, that, that Jed Fish would take a better job in Washington. It's like, yeah, Washington's a better job than Arizona. It's a better job than Arizona state. It's a better job than any school in the big 12. Okay. So don't be surprised if that happens, um, including Kenny Dillingham down the road. In fact, uh, a small little tangent off that, I saw all the recruiting experts were predicting that Cooper Perry, the top uh, recruit in Arizona, four-star wide receiver, that he will be going to Oregon. And I found out about this because Kenny Dillingham like retweeted them all. So 
two things pop in my mind on that because Dillingham had been recruiting Perry strong um, for a while. And it just, it feels like if a power school in the big 10 or sec wants one of the players that you're recruiting hard as a big 12 school feels like they're just going to get him, you know, and that sucks. It sucks, but it's also just reality. Like I was thinking about it. Like what's the sales pitch that Dillingham has? It's like, okay, you can play in a fun offense. Uh, you can be, you can, you know, play for the Valley. You can play, uh, you know, hometown. You can play in a great place with great weather, all that, all that's true. The Oregon offer. I mean, Hey, we're, we're going to be one of the premier teams in the big 10. We're going to have a quick access to the playoff. It's the university of Oregon. You'll probably get way more NIL. Like there's just, there's just way more like ASU just can't. I know people are going to be mad when he eventually ends up going to Oregon, but I can't say they didn't try. And that's what I want out of Dillingham. It's like, I don't need you to land all these guys, but I need you to show an effort that you are purposefully going after them. And if they don't come here, then at least they don't come here knowing that Dillingham recruited them hard. So, um, yeah, it just, it's just a, it's just a reminder that under this current format where the Big Ten and the SEC are here and the Big 12 and the ACC are here, uh, step below, it's just the anti-Big 12, anti-ACC recruiting pitch for those top two leagues is an easy one to do, you know? It's like, hey, uh, do you – you're, you're probably only going to get in the playoff if you win your league. If you're in the big 10, you're in the sec, we could go 10 and two and potentially make the playoff. And it's like, I can't really argue with that. I can't really argue with it. And so, you know, we saw this uh, down in Tucson earlier this year with Elijah rushing in Kiowa Wilhite. I think I pronounced that second one wrong, but they were both two defensive linemen. They were both committed to Arizona then Oregon comes in and all of a sudden Elijah rushing is committed to Oregon. Washington comes in all of a sudden, uh, Will height is committed to Washington. Um, you know, DeBoer leaves, Will height leaves. And I think, I think he's uh, going to go to UCLA. So it's the same thing. Um, and you know, that's just how it is. But, but key thing here is Dillingham is showing Cooper Perry love. And so that means, um, if Cooper Perry does complete the transfer portal next year, where do you think he's going to go? Where, where's the place that makes sense for him to go to? Go back home. That's what Bram Walden did. That's what Cole Martin did. Um, and I think Dillingham knows this reality that, like, you're going to get recruited against if you're in the Big 12. You just are. So you need to understand that you're going to get a lot of guys coming back or cycling down, I guess, however you want to phrase it through the transfer portal in following years. We see that with some of the guys ASU added. They add the Terrence Welsh from uh, LSU, Kamari Wilson from Florida. They've got, uh, you know, last year, uh, forgetting the guy ASU brought in from Oklahoma, Clayton Smith, Prince Dorba from Texas. So, like, as an ASU fan, I'm fine with that. Like, take guys who are coming down from power schools, give them playing time, see what happens, you know. Roe Torrance transferred. He was at Auburn. He was a good corner for two years at ASU, you know, 
And so um, I think Dillingham understands that. And that's why he's not, you know, being a sore loser about not getting to prepare it because he's recruited as an Oregon Ducks coach before. And so he knows what Oregon can offer. So I like the, I don't know if you need to, you know, retweet like all four of his, you know, predictions on, on three and 24 seven and rivals and whatever. But like, I like the idea of still supporting this kid, even though he's not going to your school. Um, kind of speaking of uh, a former Dillingham player and a former ASU player, Brady White, former ASU uh, backup quarterback, former Memphis quarterback. Um, he is joining the ASU football staff as an assistant wide receivers coach. Um, I don't have a, you know, there's not a whole lot of analysis about that. I just kind of like that he's on staff and, um, you know, as a younger guy, he's probably my age, probably a, a little bit, I think like a year younger than me. Um, he should have, you know, you should be able to talk with these high school kids pretty well. You know, he's, he was in the USFL, AFL, whatever, one of those XFL leagues, uh, fairly recently. And so he's played, he's up, up to date with current scheme. Um, and you know, he's been, he's just a successful college football player. So I just like having him on staff. And I think that he's a guy that could be a rising star in the coaching profession, just because he's just coming right out from the game. And it's not like he was ever the most uh, physically talented guy either. Um, and when that's the case, you often have to make up for those differences with your mind. And that's something that is a good, you know, translator in the coaching. So love to have Brady White on staff. Um, I can't sit here in line and be like, he was one of my all-time favorite ASU players because he was, you know, a backup and wasn't on, on the team for that long. But uh it's just cool to have him back. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of ASU coaches, a former one uh, shared some interesting stuff about Brock Purdy. And I, I was debating even having this in the show, but it generated a lot of conversation around the Valley uh, when Tim Ring, who works for ABC 15 and Arizona Sports 98.7, uh, tweeted that uh, – Herm Edwards just now on ESPN radio. I always knew what kind of quarterback Brock Purdy was. I recruited him out of high school, but he ended up going to Iowa. And, you know, people in the comments are correctly pointing out that this is uh, not particularly true. I mean, you have George Reister here who's, you know, not an ASU person. Um, this is comedy. And the reason why this is all so, uh, you know, it's, a weird thing for him to say is because he only recruited Brock Purdy once other larger schools had offered him, you know, Iowa state was the first power five school to offer Brock Purdy. And then there were a few others that did, I think A&M and Alabama, I don't have his whole list in front of me, but there were a few others after Iowa state and then ASU comes in. Um, and they just offered it too late. And so personally, I don't have an issue with that ASU staff or really any ASU staff not like going out of their way to recruit a three-star quarterback in the Valley, but just don't lie about it. Just don't start it with, I always knew what kind of quarterback he was. Obviously you didn't. Okay. Because you would have been on him a, a little bit sooner if that were the case. So 
I, there are some people out there like, oh, how did ASU let Brock Purdy get away? It's like, I don't know. They had Jaden Daniels at the time, like many, like, I don't think quarterback has really been like a huge issue for ASU in recruiting. They've gotten four-star quarterbacks, you know, my entire time as a fan, they have two current four or high school four-star quarterbacks on their team right now. And I, I, I'm just not worried about that. But just there's no reason to lie about it. You don't have to lie about how good you thought Brock Purdy was going to be. You could have easily said, like, yeah, you know, he's really improved a lot since high school or whatever. Like, you just could have said that, and then no one would even, you know, have a opinion about it right now. So it's just it's just unnecessary for him to say that. And it opens the door for people to be like, oh, like, Herb Edwards just saying this to uh, rehab his college career is his, his image from college coaching and it's like i don't know if that can even happen like if you followed a if you, like you know people who followed college football know the deal when it comes to uh herm's asu tenure and really how it ended and the the uh, position it left the program in um because i will defend herm's first two years at asu uh just keeping the kind of the program afloat the defensive Defenses improved a lot, but then, you know, 2020, 2021, it all kind of fell apart. So uh, just a, just another check-in from Herm Edwards right there. So I'm going to uh, – I'll, I'll close out with basketball, but um, I saw something interesting from Brad Sesmat. This was posted over the weekend in his column. Uh, it's uh, three – three dot thoughts on Arizona sports 360. He just kind of touches on some sports stories in the Valley. I'm not going to go all through of it. Brock Purdy, Kevin Durant. I don't care. Big 12 schedule release. He was talking about how uh, they wanted it that he thinks the territorial cup shouldn't be on Thanksgiving weekend because it's overshadowed by other larger rivalry games. And looks like the big 12 didn't listen to that. Uh, but this is really what caught my eye. A lot of smoke, Dr. Crow will retire from Arizona State in the spring. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, that's huge news potentially for the ASU football team, men's basketball team, and baseball team. I'm just being honest. Like, I don't want to say Michael Crow actively held those programs back because I don't think that's true. But he didn't actively like help them get better and help them improve. And maybe people could argue he act actively did hold baseball back by moving them away from Packard uh, to an off-campus location. That's that's literally before my time at ASU. Uh, my first year was the year after they played at Packard. So I don't have a strong opinion on that, but other people do. And I mean, we've talked about it on this show. Like we, how many times have I said on this show, you know, Ray Anderson and Michael Crow aren't going to be at ASU forever. Just as kind of a coping mechanism, honestly. Um, and it looks like, you know, Dr. Crow's, I mean, it could be within two months, you know, it's the first day of February as I'm recording this. Uh, <laughs> Crow leaving, for one, that that totally uh, makes sense why the athletic director search is taking a bit longer. And two, just as, I just... I'm kind of struggling of like how to phrase it, but him being gone opens the door for someone to come in 
and understand how important football and to a lesser extent men's basketball are to the wide majority of the ASU fan base. Um, Michael Crow has done a lot of great things for ASU. I'm not even disputing any of it. Like there's a reason why he's been able to be the university president for so long because he's done a good job at the school overall. He has had a blind spot when it comes to athletics. There's just no way around it. Um, and this mindset of, oh, you know, the men's cross country team and the football team are of equal importance is just, it's just wrong. It's outdated. And it's like small school type thinking, like have that type of mindset at an NAIA school, have it at even some group of five schools. You can pull that off. Like ASU football is not exact. It's not a huge brand, but it's big enough. And you, it needs to be supported more than just like more than it has been by the administration. So it's like, I can't say that I'm like jumping for joy that Michael Crow is leaving, but he let a lot of this stuff happen. You know, he's, he's the one who's like, it's not like Ray Anderson is the only underwhelming athletic director at Arizona state under Crow, you know, Lisa love before him, it wasn't exactly uh, drawing rave reviews. And so this like Crow has been the trend of all this. And he's perfectly fine with the men's basketball arena just being completely out of date. And no, no renovations have been um, scheduled for that. So again, that's something we've talked about a lot. He said it was perfectly functional. And that, that little quote just shows you his entire mindset when it comes to the larger sports. It's like, Oh, like we have a men's basketball team. It's functional. They play basketball. Our arena is functional. The lights turn on. The water still works. Um, but it's like, no, like we want the sport to be more than functional. We want them to be building towards something and not just like an annoying thing that you have to deal with as a president. Um, so we'll see. I If he's not going to make the next hire, then I... I don't know how it works in terms of higher ed and how the hirings are done and all that, but like you would kind of want the next president to make the next athletic director hire. Uh, that's just kind of my, you know, thought on it, but potentially not having pro. I don't know like what it would mean in terms of like upward potential for ASU, if that makes sense, because it's just, it's just so unknown. But I do think that there are a lot of ancillary things that can improve. Like a lot, there's just been so many complaints about the lack of game day atmosphere. And a lot of that is due to Crow uh, getting rid of like a grass lawns and stuff like that. And like, that's something that can be fixed with the new president and just an overall more like emphasis on athletics um, or like trying to win at high level athletics, uh, high profile athletics I think that matters if it's coming from the presidential office. It doesn't have to be the only thing. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that to be the only thing. I get that the president, college president's job, especially at a giant school like ASU, is much more than that. But you also just can't have your uh, eye off the. You, know, you can't just be like let letting it run unsupervised. You know, you need to step in when things are looking weird, and so. Uh, you know, 
and this kind of blends into the next conversation of um, last night, Anthony Totri of PHNX Sports tweeted out two names um, for the potential ASU athletic job that he's learned. One of them is the UConn AD, David Benedict. The other is Graham Rossini, who is a, um, a somewhat associate AD already within ASU. I'm kind of hoping it's Benedict. I, I I just want someone who's ran an athletic department before. This guy's also worked for uh, VCU, Auburn, Minnesota. So he's kind of been around the block. He's from Tempe and he's worked at ASU before as well. So I think that's very important. Um, knowing, you know, knowing the area, knowing the fan base, the donors, all that. Um, so Benedict is my top choice. And I kind of don't want Crow making the hire, you know, like Crow, the innovative thing is nice, but it doesn't always work in terms of college sports just because college sports is such a weird, you know, it's so siloed from the rest of like the NBA or the NHL or NFL, like whatever. Like there's so much different dynamics that go on. And so that's why I don't want an outside hire if it's like a TV executive or, um, you know, the lawyer for the NFL or just, I just don't want the goal from the athletic department to be like, yeah, we need to treat the, the golf team with the same importance as the baseball team. It's like, you don't, you don't, you don't need to do that. Like, I'm not saying you have to cancel all these sports, but, I, but what I am saying is the higher profile sports need to receive more attention and more money. Um, so, and when it comes to that specific thing, Michael Crow absolutely has been an impediment of that in the past. So, you know, we'll see how the athletic director um, hiring process plays out. But when it comes to Michael Crow not being there, like, I think, I just, I think that's encouraging. And I haven't even mentioned all the stuff about the Pac-12 and how he supported Larry Scott, supported Larry Scott till the Bitter end didn't like in 2019, he was quoted how because every you know, people knew that the Pac 12 was struggling, the Pac 12 network distribution issues were a real thing. And he was quoted in the Republic, I believe, saying, um, in 2019, saying, Oh, you know, yeah, like it looks bad from the outside, but once we sign our new media deal, all these other leagues are going to be wondering how they got passed up by us. And that is the uh, <laughs> frozen cold take of all time because now ASU is in the big 12 in part because Michael Crow gave Larry Scott way too much power and Michael Crow to his credit earned a power on the PAC 12 CEO board or the PAC 12 president's board, you know, back in the 2010s. And he had earned that power because of just what a respected university uh, administrator he was. But it came at a cost for ASU and ultimately the conference because he just, he trusted the wrong guy and it fell apart around them. And then, you know, Klafkoff just wasn't able to get, the, get the deal signed that, you know, I don't want to get into all that again, but uh, Crow, you know, and, and again, like even going to the big 12, like it was, it was the absolute last choice. There's no, no one can ever convince me that Michael Crow ever wanted to go to the big 12. He, ASU was in the Big 12 because of how big it is, 
and like it's fan base, it's media reach. It's not because Michael Crow wanted to, and, and because Arizona went like, it's not because it, Michael Crow was like trying to get us in. Um, it really seems like it was the, well, it, it was reported that that last day, like he told Brett Yormark, who was, you know, not like super, super keen on adding ASU because again, they hadn't really been in contact with him the entire time and didn't want to go to the big 12, but he was able to get in based on, I think the uh, argument he made was I was super, I, you know, this was all, I was super loyal to the PAC 12. Now that's gone. I'll be loyal to you. Um, I think that's kind of the spin. Ultimately, I think that the Big 12 was just going to add ASU just due to its size, uh, partnership with Arizona. Um, and I mean, this is Homer talk, I guess, but like it's the second best, best football brand of those four schools. You know, I'm sorry. Well, and arguably the best football history. It depends how, depends how far we're going back. But Arizona and I'm sorry, like Colorado through the 20th, 21st century, not the 20th, the 21st century, like has been garbage. And sure, they have Dion right now. How long will he stay? Who knows? Um, but I just, I'm just, I'm just potentially glad that just the weird comments and misguided athletics ideas stemming from Michael Crow will be a thing of the past. So I'll leave it with that. And then, oh, I got to talk about men's basketball, um, which I will actually be going to tonight. I'm recording before the Stanford game. Uh, and some of you might be thinking, oh, why are you waiting? Why aren't you waiting until after the Stanford game to record if you're going to record uh, on Thursday night? Well, I don't really think the Stanford game, whether ASU wins or loses that game, I don't think it has any real effect on their future success because this is not a tournament team after what we saw in Oregon, uh, getting blown out by Oregon in the second half and suffering a, you know, lopsided loss to the Oregon state Beavers that Saturday, ASU is now five and four in conference and 11 and nine overall. It has two good wins over Colorado and Utah when it was playing well at home. But since then they've gone, They've lost four out of their last five games. Uh, and somehow they're only one game out of first place, which was the, uh, I saw quotes about this the other day from Hurley and Jose Perez of, hey, we're one game out of first place. And, I, and as a fan, I'm glad they have that mindset of, hey, like we're still in it, but they're not still in it. I know that they're technically still in it, but they this team could lose to any team in the league. It, 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 Totally could lose to any team in the league. It just lost to the second worst team in the league by 13 points over the weekend. So there you go. Like, and UCLA is the team with the second worst record in the league at nine and 11. ASU lost that game last third or um, two third, two weeks ago. The fouls were, there was some BS technical fouls on ASU. Absolutely no denying that. But it was also a very winnable game, even, even with those calls. And ASU lost its cool. So it's, you know, they're 11-9 they're and nine right now. If they sweep the Bay Area schools, they will enter uh, next weekend's road mountain trip against Colorado and Utah at 
13 and nine with a seven and four Pac-12 record. If they sweep those schools, then they have a chance to make the tournament. A, a small chance, but they have a chance. I just I just don't see them sweeping Cal and Stanford. They first of all, they barely beat them the first time, each of them. And you know, Stanford has the same conference record as ASU at five and four, and Cal is four and five. So Cal's playing well in conference play. They're not, they're better than they were last year. They're a legitimate team. You have to show up to beat them. Same with Stanford. And so if you're playing two opponents like that, I just don't trust ASU to beat both of them. And the likely scenario is we're entering next week with ASU at a record of 12 and 10 and six and five in the Pac-12. And it's just like, it's the same thing over and over again. And so when it comes to Bobby Hurley, uh, I think a lot of fans, when this season ends the way it ends, which is an NIT berth, I hope, um, if it ends in that type of fashion, there will be a lot of fans that want Hurley gone. I can't, you know, I'm not going to argue against them. I've made my points on Hurley clear about how ASU is like a bottom five program of all the power uh, men's basketball programs. And him going to the tournament essentially four times over a nine-year span, or is it, would it be an eight-year span? Or it would be four times over a nine-year span with this year as the ninth year. Uh, and yes, I'm counting the 2020 appearance. Um, that's pretty good for ASU, but you're entering the Big 12. It just, to me, it depends on how this year finishes. If they finish the year, like, I don't know. Like if they win like four more games and they're 15 and 16 or something, I mean, that it would be hard to bring Hurley back, especially since he only signed a two-year deal last year. But if they like, they can get to like 18 and 12 or so, I don't see them only losing three more games. So that's a tough I don't know, like 17 and 13, like 18 and 13, whatever, and maybe make like win a game or two in the Pac-12 tournament. I would be okay bringing him back. I think if, I think if you enter the offseason with some kind of small momentum, it's like, hey, you know, we struggled early in the year and there were some struggles in Pac-12 play, but we kind of kind of figure some things out in February and March at the end of the year, but it was wasn't enough to get in the tournament type of deal. And you know, we went to the NIT type of season. I'm not saying I'd be thrilled with that, but I'd be like, okay, we can keep Bobby for one more year. You got some uh, good high profile freshmen coming in. So, you know, from that perspective, it's feasible, but it's just like, it's not exciting. And, you know, the style of play of this team is just so inconsistent and they just don't, some of the injuries have hurt them and they just don't have that deep of a lineup. And that's just, you know, when they're playing press, which I like to see them play because that's kind of their best thing that they do, but it does tire them out. And then you get these bad second halves where you can't keep up um, and you get blown out. So hopefully we don't see that tonight or on Saturday, but you know, I'll leave it with this. Like, it is kind of nice to just have no expectations for this team. You know, there's, I mean, after the TCU game and the Northwestern game, it's like, they, you know, they haven't been that bad, but 
there's not really an expectation. It's just like, let's just try to play well and, you know, I don't, you know, fight for whatever postseason there is for this team. So I'm not going to be upset if they lose tonight. I mean, I, I don't want them to lose. I still want them to win all these games, but I'm just not like, it's not like last year where you, you had a lot of stretches of looking good uh, early in the season. And each of these losses represented something that you had to lose. You know, I remember talking with Colton last year after the road trip to Washington when they lost to Washington and Wazoo. And we were upset because it was like, Hey, like you're better than this. I can't, I don't have that mindset of like, Oh, you're, you're better than this. ASU was like, yeah, I don't think you are. <laughs> like, thank you. I think, I think this team is what it is at this point. And it's, an 11 and nine team. So um, hopefully, you know, we have another episode next week and we're talking about how they played better than we thought. So it is possible with this team, but it's also just as possible they lose these next two games as well. So anyway, uh, a lot of stuff in this episode, touched on a lot of stuff. Thank you for listening. Please like, and subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on your podcast app of choice. And as always, Go do